Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 154, Packing for an Out-of-State Turkey Hunt, with Brenda Valentine. And I am your host, and the guy who hopes to finish the fall planting on his hunting properties before what looks to be a hurricane enters the Gulf of Mexico and makes landfall along the Gulf Coast this weekend. It'd be nice to have some seed in the ground before we get some rain, and after that hurricane or tropical storm comes through, there is no telling how long it will be before it rains again. So today we are 161 days. 10 hours, 30 minutes, and 34 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. We have such a great interview for you guys today, but I've got to share a quick story with you first before I get into the interview. So as most of you know, this past spring, the Turkey Hunter podcast intern Cameron and I went on a hunt in North Carolina together. Well, Cameron pretty much shows up to the hunt with what he is wearing that day to travel to where we're hunting and a shotgun, a turkey vest, one camo shirt, one pair of camo pants, one pair of socks, and one pair of boots. To say he traveled lightly would be an understatement. So the first day that we're there on the trip, it rained the whole day that we were there. And he and I both were soaked. Our boots were soaked. Our socks were soaked. It was a wet, miserable day. Well, when you only bring one pair of boots and you only bring one pair of socks and they get wet on the first day, it's hard to get them dried out for day two or day three. And they're probably starting to get dry enough to where they're comfortable on day four. But he was able to get his socks dry the night of day one but not his boots. So immediately when he puts his boots on, his dry feet and dry socks, the morning of day two, his socks are soaked. So by the end of day two, his boots are still wet. His socks are wet. He's been walking in them all day. And on the way back to the campground that we were staying in, I had to roll the windows down in the truck (laughs) because his feet, his feet smelled horrible horrible. So I guess the reason I'm sharing this story with you is don't do what Cameron did. Before you go on a hunting trip out of state, 
be prepared, get packed up right, make sure you've got everything that you need to go on the trip so that you can enjoy it more when you get there. And being comfortable and relaxed will definitely help you enjoy your hunt so much more. And if you're enjoying your hunt more and you're comfortable and you're relaxed, believe it or not, you're going to have a better opportunity at being successful. So let's do this. Let's jump into the interview with the awesome Brenda Valentine, who has too many titles associated with her name to mention, really. But I'll just say she is the first lady of hunting and an NWTF spokesperson and a great one at that. So I recommend you grab a pen and some paper to take notes from this one, and I'll see you guys on the other side. The reason that this story fits in so well with today's interview is because that's what Brenda Valentine and I are talking about today, packing for an out-of-state turkey hunt. When I travel to my hunting camp that's a couple of hours away from home, I have no problem throwing everything except the kitchen sink in the back of my truck to make the two-hour trek to our hunting camp to hunt for a weekend. I know that I have everything that I need, but when I travel out of state, I do like to travel lighter than I do when I'm traveling to my hunting camp. Not quite as light as Cameron likes to travel, of course, but traveling light does present a problem. And the problem is, did we pack everything that we needed? And that's what Brenda and I are talking about today. So let's do this. Let's jump into the interview with the awesome Brenda Valentine, who has too many titles associated with her name to mention, really. But I'll just say that she is the first lady of hunting and an NWTF spokesperson, and a great one at that. Grab a pen and some paper to take notes from this one, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey everybody, I am very excited to have on the line with me today a second timer to the show, but that doesn't mean we love her any less, and that is Brenda Valentine, and as many of you know, Brenda is a spokesperson with NWTF, so she is a lover of the organization and a promoter of the organization, but you know, I've got to say more so than that, she is a hunter through and through. There's just no question about it. And she loves turkey hunting as much as we all do. And Brenda, I'm very excited to have you on the line with us today. How are you and where are you? Well, thank you, Andy. It's my pleasure to be your guest today. And I'm wonderful. I I just could not think of anything better. I'm just uh, just happy to be. That's all I can tell you. I'm just happy to be. I'm here at home in Tennessee, northwest Tennessee, and that's a doggone good place to be. There you go. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, there's no place like home. I think Dorothy had that right a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. She sure did. I... Well, very good. So it's been a little while since we've had you on the show. I think it's been a couple of years since I've had you on, and I hate that, but, you know, we get pulled in so many different directions, but I love your story about how you got into to hunting, and tell us a little bit about yourself, just for, for those people that haven't heard your story, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into turkey hunting. Well, Andy, I was born into hunting. I'm probably from the old school when 
hunting was a, one of the main means of putting food on the table. I grew up in a very rural place. We had, you know, we mostly small game hunted because that's all there was then. Mm-hmm. We raised coon dogs and we did squirrel hunting and coon hunting and and it was, you know, partly for pleasure. I mean, everybody enjoyed going out and hunting, but it was as much as anything to to put mood, food on the table. And we trapped and we sold hides, and and our whole world pretty much centered around the outdoors and hunting. It was simply our way of life, and I was born into that, and I'm forever thankful that I grew up that way and that I realized the the real meaning, I guess, behind hunting is for providing. And as far as turkeys, I never saw a turkey till I was I was grown, almost grown. There were no turkeys then. I, there was no NWTF. We just a wild turkey was you know, a mythical right. creature, you know, yeah. there were, some people had them in, around their barnyard, you know, or, and, you know, you might kill one for Thanksgiving, but the idea of really going out and realistically thinking you was going to kill a wild turkey did not happen in Northwest Tennessee where I was born and raised. So <clears throat> after, uh, there, there became a, a stocking program back, oh, I don't know how many years ago, and the turkeys began to take hold, but of course they were protected and and very elusive. You, you knew there might be a few around, but there was no hunting season. They there was no they just weren't in huntable numbers then, and most of them were concentrated on uh, game refuges such as land between the lakes or some of mm-hmm. the the small refuges where they were first stocked. And then as the the numbers came on, people began to take an interest in it. And so one day, you know, I knew where there was a, a pocket of turkeys, and I thought, I'm going to try this. And I went and bought a box call and knew nothing about it, and I didn't know anybody that did know about it. There was not such anything, uh, no mentors or anything, people with experience that could even advise you that I knew. Right. But I, this box call had directions on it. You bought it, kind of a little plastic bag, and then on the piece of paper that was in it, it said... Yelp three times and wait 20 minutes. And so I went out, sat down in the woods, and I read my paper again, and, and I rubbed the paddle across the box and I, three times, and I set it down and started what, looking at my watch, you know. And it was it was more like taking medicine than it was calling a turkey, <clears throat> but I was doing it according to the directions because I didn't know any better. Uh-huh. And so I would, you know, I, I wanted to... to rake on that box a little more you know it was fun to make that sound and thinking that i actually might sound like a turkey but uh i i just you know i I wouldn't do it because the direction says no you got to wait 20 minutes and i kept sitting there and that was the longest 20 minutes until i could do it again Mm -hmm. but uh over time it evolved and i got to where you know when a turkey finally answered it, it just it excited me, and I thought, oh, man, I've mastered this. But, of course, I didn't. It was one of those turkeys that would have answered anything. But the first turkeys that I killed were with my bow. I've been a bow hunter for a long, long time, 
and I felt inadequate with a shotgun. You know, I, we always had an old shotgun around, but, you know, it might be to shoot a squirrel out of a tree or, or snake out of the barn or something, mm-hmm. but this, uh, to sit down on the ground and think that I could shoot a turkey with it just didn't seem, you know, natural to me. I had the mentality of a whitetail hunter. So I took my climbing stand, I found a, a bunch of dust bowls for these turkeys, and I just figured out how I could how I could bring a turkey to the house. And so I took my climbing stand, climbed a, a slick, skinny tree up to the top, pulled my bow up and sat there and waited. And when they came in to dust, that's when I, I got my turkey from up above. And that worked for a couple of years. I thought, you know, I'm getting pretty good at this. We're eating turkey, and they haven't figured out what's what's hitting them. <laughs> and so uh-huh. then I decided that I was going to have to uh, do it the way you're supposed to do it, I guess, or the, the by the book and sit down, call one up, and shoot it with a shotgun. So it pretty much self-taught on that, and as was everybody. You know, when you throw a new game in town, people just – put their woodsmanship skills and they learn every time they go out and until you get it figured out. So now turkey hunting is one of my all-time favorite hunts and it's still for the meat. I mean, yes, I enjoy the hunt as much as anybody and when I don't kill anything, I've had a wonderful hunt. If I, that turkey will talk to me and, and talk back to me and, and get my blood pumping and where I hear the drums in my ears, but, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have to shoot one, but I rejoice when I do. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think we're all the same the same way or of the same mindset that getting out there and enjoying the outdoors is first on the list. And but it sure does make it so much sweeter when we get to stuff a turkey in the back of our vest and walk it back to the pickup truck or back to to the camp to clean it. Mm-hmm. So, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is that is a great story. I love that. And because of your passion for hunting and passion for the outdoors and passion for the turkey, you are an NWTF spokesperson and have been for a few years. So can you share a few of the things that are going on at the NWTF that are helping us turkey hunters to have more opportunities to enjoy the sport that we love so much? And also, Tell us why, if we haven't joined, why now is such a great time to join. I'd be happy to, Andy. Yes, I am celebrating my 10th year as a national spokesperson. And part of that is because of my longevity, I guess, in the hunting industry. I connect with a lot of people. And I want to spread the word about the NWTF, and so I do this through, you know, a variety of ways, through my column in the magazine and mm-hmm. and radio and personal appearances and stuff. And my story is pretty much always the same. It's the the success story of the NWTF. Just like I told you all ago, I didn't grow up with turkeys. Nobody around here or in much of the U.S. did. And now there are huntable turkey flocks in 49 of the 50 states. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because the habitat in Alaska is not conducive to wild turkeys. But other than that, this generation of people hardly realize that 
only one generation before, the people never knew wild turkey. So it is one of the biggest conservation success stories ever. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not a member, you, know, you don't have to be a turkey hunter to be a member of the NWTF because the National Wild Turkey Federation does so much more than support hunting. Yes, they do su- uh, support hunting as a means of conservation. They work diligently in Washington to protect our hunting rights and and keep an eye on uh, legislation concerning hunting laws. But more than that, they open up habitats for to make it accessible for everyone. There might be um, just maybe a small piece of property that prevents people from accessing public lands and Mm -hmm. each state will will work towards either having trespass access or possibly even buying access into getting into where more people have more places to hunt and just yesterday i was speaking with some people that they were building uh, handicap accessible ramps and places to uh, take people that have disabilities on turkey hunts and on duck hunts and and fishing ramps and mm-hmm. this is something through the wheeling sportsman that the NWTF is behind they're also uh, very much uh, supportive of women in the outdoors children in the outdoors so their save the habitat save the hunt initiative tackles two things. It tackles uh, accessibility, having places to hunt and taking care of the habitat, protecting uh, and providing hospitable habitat for all wildlife, not just turkeys. And it also uh, gives, makes the uh, well, I said provides the opportunity for people that might not have an opportunity right. and, and mentors them, teaches them, introduces them to the outdoors. So people that, I said, if you don't even hunt, if you care about the outdoors, and we're talking about everything from honeybees, songbirds, white-tailed deer, quail, turkey, all wildlife, benefit from the habitat programs that uh, the NWTF is is supporting and in charge of and and, and driving forward. Yeah. We have a new CEO. That's yeah. news from the NWTF. Yes, Miss Becky Humphreys comes to us from originally from Michigan, but she's been the chief conservation officer at the NWTF for I'm thinking three years. And when our previous CEO, Mr. George Thornton, retired earlier this year, then Rebecca was moved up into the CEO position. And gosh, I hear so many good things about her. I mean, I've been around Becky and just love her. She's doing a great job, but she's a a conservationist to the bone. She's a biologist. She led the state of Michigan well. She was involved with DU, Ducks Unlimited, for a long time, and now she's made her home in Edgeville, South Carolina, and she's a CEO, and, and everyone is looking for her to lead us, you know, just strong toward good things. Yeah, I had Corporal Dave Painter on the show. This has been several months ago and, and actually replayed that episode this past week, which is mm-hmm. it's kind of funny, but he is a conservation officer in Michigan and is very familiar with Becky, and he was just extremely excited well, about everybody her promotion. Is. So that's yes. that's good. And, and it's good I to have it. someone, and I, I'm not saying any of the past presidents haven't been 
so conservation minded, but it's good to have someone who has so much hands on experience with conservation mm-hmm. like she does and an experience in dealing with the government and the, the governmental agencies that regulate and control so much of that on a on a national level. It's good to have someone like that with that kind of experience leading the, the organization going forward. You are so right. She's very active in Washington, and she's. This has been her lifelong career. So you know, I feel like uh, the Federation is in very good hands now, and that she will take great strides to focus on the conservation point of uh, of the NWTF and and everything surrounding it, all the programs that we are over. She's she's a hunter. And you know, that shows, so she has an, an interest there. So mm-hmm. we're, we're proud of, the, of where we are right now. Fantastic. That's all good news. But, you know, you mentioned in talking about the NWTF and being a spokesperson for them that you do an article in Turkey Country Magazine when it comes out every other month. And that's actually, I, I read this article that you wrote. It's been, gosh, a couple of years since you wrote it. And I'm sure I read it when it, when the magazine came out because I'm, I usually don't let them sit around too long before I read them. But sometimes I'll circle back around and, and pick one up and start reading it again. But when I read this article, I said, I've been wanting to do a show on this, but I really just personally don't have such a great system. And I am a systems guy. I love a system for this, a system for that. You know, I've got a system for putting gasoline in my my truck, the most, (laughs) what I feel like is the most efficient way. So when I read this article, I said, this is great. And I think there are a lot of people who can benefit from knowing your system for preparing and actually packing a bag, packing firearms, all of that fun stuff that we get to do prior to jumping on an airplane and going out of state to go on a hunt. And so when I read the article, I said, I've got to get Brenda on. This is the perfect opportunity because it has been a while since she's been on the show. It's a great opportunity to get her back on and go over some of this information with us. So can you tell us a little bit about your system for packing all of that stuff that we tote around in our vest, that we have stuffed in our six pockets in our camouflage cargo pants that we wear and in our shirt pockets and uh, I mean clipped onto our hat and all this other stuff that we take into the woods how can we shove all that into a bag so it doesn't get torn up so we're not 80 pounds over the the airline's weight limit and get it where we need it to be safely and all in one piece so we can have a good trip when we get there. Well, Andy, first, I just want to thank you for reading my columns. You know, I think all writers write and wonder if anybody ever reads them. And so I was flattered that you even mentioned mentioned my column. But I will tell you, I'm not a systems person. My husband is, and and he has a system for putting gas in the truck, too. But (laughs) not me. But over the years of traveling, hunting, and living out of a bag and getting there and and wishing I'd brought something else or getting Mm -hmm. there and half my stuff either broken or or just, you know, in disarray, I finally did create a system, and it works for me, and hopefully some of the things I do might work for someone else. 
you know, you mentioned the, the weight limits. When you're flying on a hunt, then you definitely want to stay under that magic 50 pounds. And I've got it down to just within a pound. And I keep a set of old bathroom scales in my mm-hmm. in my room where I pack all my hunting stuff. And anymore, I can just pick up the bag and tell you within a half a pound pretty much what it's going to weigh just because I've done this so much. Right. But, you know, for anybody starting out, I would recommend get that because you don't want to get at the check-in counter and people are impatient behind you and and the people there at the airport are demanding that you do something with a pound and a half of, of something you can't do without. You know, you're not going to throw your hunting boots in the trash right there just because you're going to have to pay $20 to put them on, the, on there. So true. But um, yeah. uh, one thing on that is if it's, handy a lot of times i'll i'll wear my heavy boots or i may put on if it's the time of the year i may wear a a bulky coat or something that i can just throw in the overhead and that saves putting it in the bag but the main thing that most people are concerned of is traveling with a firearm and they should be i think the regulations get a little stiffer every year maybe the laws don't change that much but you run into more negativity in the airport so Mm -hmm. just remember pack your firearm separately it has to be in a locked case have your keys where you can get to them because you know how it is going through airports they're hustling you through and anything that you do to delay just seems to cause more stress so i have my key in my pocket and know when you get there that you're going to have to open that case you're going to have to sign in their presence a declaration stating that this gun is unloaded and actually i have walked into airports and they would have me open the breech of a gun anymore they don't want me to touch it and they don't want you to pull it out most places but i have and i've seen people just panic because there was a firearm so they don't ask near as often anymore to do that just just open it and slide in that piece of paper that you declared it unloaded mm-hmm. also you cannot have your ammunition in the same case with your firearm. What I do on a firearm, I, I have a hard side case that has the hinges. I want the solid piano hinge all the way down my case because people that have the little single hinges, they're not sturdy enough. With the rough handling they're going to get, I right. guarantee you, in, in one or two trips, you're going to be buying another case because... They can't handle the the blows that they're going to get in transport. Most of these gun cases come with some thick foam padding, and and that's good. If you're just going to put your gun in the case and put it in the back of the truck, haul it to the next place, that's fine. That's good because it it leaves no room for anything except a gun in there, and it's well padded up. When I'm going places on a plane, I can't afford to have the room that that padding takes up, so I rip all the padding out, and I replace it with rain gear or soft things one is always a bath towel i I can't tell you Mm. how many times i've gone into hunt camp and there would not be something that maybe i could clean my boots off on or i just need a towel it's one of those handy things that you'll go in and you don't want to to dirty up if they have nice towels you don't want to dirty them up and sometimes i've been in some they didn't have a towel so i was thankful to have my own towel maybe i 
in other places there wasn't enough cover. I, you know, you can use it for anything. But I put a bath towel in. I'll put sometimes even my rubber boots if they if I can flatten them down good. That makes wonderful padding for my firearm. Sometimes I'll put the barrel of a shotgun down in one rubber boot and I'll put the butt of it in the other. And you couldn't ask for for better padding than that. If not, I'll put my rangefinder or my cameras or any kind of electronics that I don't want stolen because this case is going to be mm-hmm. locked down tight and you've got the key. But any valuables that I feel a little bit uneasy into going into checked luggage, I put them in that gun case. Um, you know, when we're filming, I, I, a lot of times I'll put, you know, mics and, and different things in there that you know, cost a lot of money and they need protected. They're too valuable. So all of that goes into that and I want it good and tight. If there's a a air pocket somewhere, I may put a a pair of wool socks or just some of my gear goes into that and then I'm not, I don't just trust the locks that may come on that. I'm going to put a long shanked padlock on each end. Some of those little locks that, that may come on a gun case, I feel like can be unlocked with a hairpin and Mm -hmm. I want secure big padlocks on that and and so far I mean I've hauled it around the world and I've never had one that was broken into I've never had one that was where any of my gear was lost and during not just turkey hunting but if I'm doing center fire hunting I've never had a scope that was knocked off and I'll knock on wood for that because that could happen in anything you know you can can stump your toe and sometimes mess up a scope but so far I've been extremely fortunate and that system has worked so well yeah and Packing your own ammunition. If you are flying into a place where you know there's, you know, a Bass Pro Shop on the next block or you're going to pass one going someplace, it's about as simple just to stop and buy the ammunition. If, if it's a standard ammunition, you know, if it's a, a Winchester Longbeard or, or something like that that is stock ammunition, sometimes I wait to buy it there. But if it's an, if you're going into a remote place and you know that it's, sketchy whether you'd be able to get the exact ammunition that you've uh, sighted your gun in with and that you're used to shooting. You know, I take my own ammunition and I take plenty. You can take a couple of boxes, but it has to be boxed in the original container. You can't take it out of the box and put it in a Ziploc bag or a, you know, a little plastic ammunition box. It, it needs to be in that original box and it has to be packed separately. And this means that you can't have two or three shotgun shells floating around in your vest. That right. you know, they've got to be back in there. And let me tell you, you do not even want an empty shell in there. You can you can ask a lot of people that when they have been called back to security because there was a spent shell that was in their vest. So uh, they're they're very very strict on how this ammunition goes through airports. Yeah. So so many of the people at the TSA, although they go through training and they are supposed to know what to look for, don't know the difference between a spent shell and one that's not spent. And, you know, I think it's a good point that you brought up that, you know, we we need to be aware of these things and we can't take for granted that someone who works for these organizations knows what's okay and what's not okay. We just need to try to play by their rules as much as we can and kind of look forward and say, 
okay, this item here could present problems for me in going through security at the airport. So I need to either ask someone about it or leave it. Well, if you don't say you're on a, a important slam hunt or you're taking your child on their first turkey hunt someplace and they kill a nice gobbler and a lot of people like to keep that spent shell just for a souvenir they may want to have their beard mounted in it or something it's fine to hang on to it put it back in the box with the the live ammunition and bring it home that way don't just throw it in your carry-on bag as an afterthought and think you're going to get through with it you might get through but you might also be detained and if you are then you're going to have to trash it right there Mm -hmm. So, yes, you can get it home, but it has to be done in the right way. It can be in checked luggage. It doesn't, it, you don't want it just floating around in there because they're going to dig through and find what it is and they may throw it away for you. But it needs to be in the box with the other ammunition just because it looks like a shell, whether it's active or not. Right, yeah. And I, I love your point that you made about the gun case that you travel with having the solid hinge on it all the way across the gun case instead of just the individual hinges because the baggage guys and and women at the that work for the airlines i don't know what it is but they seem to have an eyeball out for a gun case and it's like they're trying to to figure out how much punishment that case can actually take so. I sit on the plane watching to make sure that my gun case gets on the plane, mm-hmm. and I see them hurled out there. It's like it's a sport to see how high and how far they can pitch one, and you know, and they fall off the conveyor and they pitch them back on. And I'm telling you, they take a, a world of beating. I have my favorite gun cases, and and they're just. I believe you could run bulldozers over them just because of what I've seen them go through. But yes, that that solid piano hinge is what they call that, where it's a completely solid hinge. It's it's not just hinges scattered up and down through that. And that is stronger and gives more support. Plus the the material it's made out of. Some, you know, a plastic case, oh my goodness, you might get one trip out of it, but uh, it would be according to then as to how mad the baggage handler was. Mm -hmm. they, They do not get special attention, I'll tell you that. The the one way I've found to go about there's a company called Tough Pack that has um, it, it's gun cases that are on wheels and I have two of them, um, but they look like cases for golf bags and the lid lifts off they're lockable they roll they're they're hardened it's a plastic but it it's like the stuff culverts are made out of I mean it it's right. indestructible. And these work so well because they don't scream, I'm a gun case. They look like what you set golf bags or other sporting goods in, and they'll just roll around with you. They're, you know, you've got tons of room in there to put everything. You know, I can take two guns or I can take a shotgun and a bow. I've hauled them to Africa, and I would put two bows and all my, my, all my gear in there, plus half my clothes, and they work great. When you go into hunt camp and there's not room in the lodge to put all the gear and stuff, shoot, I can leave it out in the yard, and it doesn't matter if it rains on it or snows on it. You know, everything right. inside is protected. So works out great. Yeah. And now, I know you and I and probably every other single listener to this show have turkey calls that 
probably mean something to us, but definitely can't withstand being beat around inside our luggage. Do you have a, a way of keeping those turkey calls that we have safe on a, on a plane ride and in between flights? <laughs> the safest place I've found is in my lap or in a, in a carry-on. That's uh, a good point, yeah. Well, and most really serious turkey hunters that I know, you know, they, they won't on a hunt, I'm not going to carry 25 turkey calls, but I'll probably have at least two box calls and probably three slates, a, a wing bone, and maybe five or six strikers. And those are the cream of the crop. They're they're the ones I've picked that are my choice that's going to give me the greatest advantage that, that I could have. And I'm not going to trust them to being stomped around or lost or pilfered with. So I've got a little soft cooler bag that, you know, you'd get to put maybe uh, six Cokes in, or, you know, just mm-hmm. a little soft-sided insulated bag. And I put my calls in it and, and put it in my carry-on bag. And that gives them a little extra protection. And, it, you know, and I can. It's got a strap. I can just put it over my shoulder just like a purse and carry my, my calls in it. But it fits down in my carry-on. So it's always with me. And I'm not trusting that to the rigors of checked luggage. Mm-hmm. That's a great suggestion. I never had thought about putting one in there. I usually will take mine and put them inside socks and put them inside my rubber boots or, you know, just something to give them a little bit more protection, a little bit more padding around them. But I like that idea. And then that way they're with me. So, you know, when I show up and my bag doesn't, I've at least got turkey calls if I have them with me. That's a great I went to Afghanistan a few years ago and all my luggage was lost except my backpack. And inside my backpack, I had turkey calls and American flags. And those were the two things that I didn't trust to go into my checked luggage. Laptops, clothes, shoes, toothbrush, everything was in checked luggage. Uh-huh. So I got to, flew into to Bagram in Afghanistan and I had slate calls and American flags to do me for a couple of weeks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess... You know, you you carry the things that are dearest to you. Another thing, I mean, I spoke about putting your valuables inside your gun case, and I have put my turkey calls inside of, um, not Tupperware, but something similar in a a little bread box type size plastic container that has a good snap lid. I've carried them in that. One thing that I carry, I put in my check luggage, which would work fine for the turkey calls, I have an old metal lunchbox, like my husband carried to work for years, you know, that that Mm -hmm. just has the little snaps and the lid pops open and you could put a thermos in there. I have one dedicated just for my bathroom supplies that I carry on trips, uh, hunting trips. Mm-hmm. You know, whether I'm sleeping in a wall tent or whether I'm in, you know, a nice lodge or, or whatever the situation is, this thing is indestructible and I can carry everything, you know, toothbrush, hairbrush, all the all the toiletries that I need in this lunchbox. And then if I'm on a pack mule going up on a glacier someplace and it falls off, nothing's getting broke. You know, everything right. is, it doesn't matter what the weather is. It doesn't matter 
any circumstance, I'm covered with that in this old lunchbox. And the same thing, this this metal lunchbox would work so well. And you can throw it in that bag, throw everything on top of it, but you're not going to dent it. You're not going to, it's not going to crush. It's not going to crack. You know, it's, it's bomb proof pretty well. So that would also be great protection. I, you know, wrap them in uh, a towel or something and, and put them in there. But yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of ways around this. You've just got to think of the worst possible situation. You know, the stuff falls in the lake or, uh, like I said, a, a truck runs over it or it, uh, a mule runs off with it, whatever, wherever you're going. You know, I've been in the, the best and the worst. Usually the worst is rainstorms or dust storms or things that, you know, are just tough on, on calls and all of, you know, binoculars and, and range fires. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of this expensive equipment that you use has to have be protected. And so whether it's in a, a garbage bag or a shoebox, I mean, that's prob- that's not very good protection, but do something just to uh, keep it out of the elements. And yeah. my old metal lunchbox works pretty good. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, in, in my experience, too, in traveling around is that if I do pack my turkey calls in my luggage, my check luggage, mm-hmm. it seems like I get questioned about it because, again, the TSA people don't know what that is and they want to know what it is. So to keep them from digging around to get down to the bottom of your bag where you've put your calls, if you can kind of keep those up towards the top, but yet still put some shirts or a jacket or something over the top of them to kind of keep them protected, can keep that person at TSA from having to go through everything inside that bag. So well, I like carrying them on. That's a great idea. And I'd never have thought about that in all of my travels. Oh, if you travel during the spring with a group of turkey hunters, they'll all have the little bag and it'll it'll be a dedicated call bag just because that's such an important thing. They don't want to risk getting there. I mean, you can get there and borrow a shotgun or Absolutely. make do with some clothes, but, but trying to replace those calls is it, it's tough. So, yes, I like having that stuff with me and, and putting it just in that little soft side cooler and and go right on. And then, uh, you know, I, we haven't talked about it, but there, that's a great place right there to bring a good juicy turkey breast back home with you. And that was really my next question for you. So <laughs> how about bringing that meat back? And of course, the the trophy parts of the bird, the legs, the fan, the beards, all that stuff, because so many times when we're on hunts, we'll just donate it to the camp. And, you know, and, and I'm perfectly OK with that. But Me too. if we kill several birds, then the camp, you know, the, whether it's the the guide who's driving us around and dropping us off or even the cook or the person cleaning the camp, whoever it is, they may say, you know, I don't eat turkey or I've got more in my freezer than we can eat, you know, and here you are with this turkey breast not knowing what to do with it. So you mentioned that soft-sided cooler. That's a great idea. But what other ways are there that we can bring that meat back? Well, most most turkey camps, uh, if they don't have a, a freezer, I mean, they're Usually there's a refrigerator with a, a freezer compartment, but I try to chill that meat. Uh, I'll soak it, trying to get all the blood and pick the shot out and clean it myself, and then chill it as much as possible. And if I can't chill it, I'll, I mean, if I can't 
freeze it. The best thing to do is, is maybe not freeze it solid, but at least get it firm chilled. But I get it cold and put it in uh, gallon zip bags, and I usually keep a supply of Ziploc bags in my gear. I, you know, I need them for everything. Mm-hmm. But bringing meat home is one, if I'm doing that. Like I said, a lot of times I will donate to the camp. There's... I, can't remember anybody turning down turkey meat, but but it, in the situation, if it's a do-it-yourself hunt, and you definitely want to bring that home, and I, we eat the the thighs and the legs also, so I bring home more than just the breast. But you know, with a, a little small soft side case, I can put the all oh, the little ice pack things. If, right. if you know you've got those with you, if you don't have those, I just put regular ice cubes in zip bags but put a little salt in there with that and it'll make it even colder and and hold that cold you're probably going to have to dump that whenever you get to the airport but but you know just the few hours that you're it takes to get home if you happen to drive you know that's no problem at all you just take a cooler but I do bring that uh, meat home and you was talking about bringing the the trophy parts if you want to bring preserve your fan of course the best way to do that is is spread it out if you have the forethought take fill one of those zip bags full of borax before you go in an emergency if i've been places and i didn't have that i've stopped in diners and or quick stops or whatever and got me one of the small containers of table salt and i'll salt the the butt end around on the fan where the feathers join mm-hmm. the very tip of the beard anywhere there's any meat you know you don't want that that raw meat just you know going rancid on you so either put salt put some borax borax is best but just because it has that drying effect and lay that fan flat down in the very bottom of your suitcase or your duffel. My duffel has a, a hard bottom with a zipper compartment just for boots or dirty clothes to stay away from, from your other gear. And I put that down in the very bottom. That that keeps it flat, and then I put things on top of it. The same thing with any part that I'm wanting to bring home or maybe all the feathers, and I put those in, in zip bags. If I wanted to bring the entire turkey home to have mounted, say I'd been off on a real important hunt and I wanted to have this turkey mounted, the the best way I found not to break the spines of the feathers and, and to keep this turkey totally intact, I'd field dress it just taking the entrails out, but leave the, the turkey whole. They you know, prefer them like that. It makes for a better mount. And slide it into a pair of pantyhose. That, mm. uh, that stretchy material, I mean, it, it'll really stretch a lot. And it'll hold, and it'll head first. You don't want to uh, go in from the backwards on these feathers and right. get them bent backwards. But slide the head first into the, the leg of a pair of pantyhose and, and stretch it tight over that turkey. You might roll it up in a, in a shirt or, you know, whatever you have some of your your dirty clothes coming back down a pants leg or something and it really protects it your taxidermist will thank you and your mount will look gorgeous because the the beautiful feathers won't be all roughed up and and broken and it it just makes for a gorgeous mount like that Mm -hmm. and it's also fun carrying that through security at the airport a lot of people carry those under their arm you'd be surprised (sighs) 
you know, if you're thinking ahead, you'll have a little soft-sided carry-on carry bag. You know, I've got one that it's, you know, camouflage that's just just a little tiny little duffel, but I can carry decoys in it or I can stuff those decoys, you know, in my bag in that bottom compartment. That's where I do. I I use the blow-up decoys. I deflate them, put them down in that, but uh, I see a lot of people that if they have that special bird, if you if you go, you know, maybe to Arizona and get that once-in-a-lifetime ghoul, you don't want it out of your sight. You don't want it all messed up. You want to have it with you, and I've never had a problem with that. Yeah. You know, I've gone through a lot of securities, and, and they may look at it funny, but they've never kicked it out. Yeah, and what we did back before the travel rules with the airlines have gotten so strict and the baggage fees have gotten so expensive and all that is we would on the way there we would pack all of our gear me and my buddies would pack our gear into hard-sided coolers and then yes. we travel out there you know tape them up real good or even buy a hasp and a padlock and lock them but travel have all of our stuff in that use that as our luggage to travel out there and then when we we knew because this was our first Merriam's or our first Rio or what Osceola whatever it happened to be we knew that we were going to get that bird mounted we would actually have a duffel bag an empty duffel bag in that cooler and on our way back, we'd take our bird, put it in the cooler, take all the gear that was in the cooler, put it in the empty duffel bag, and now we'd have two bags that we'd travel back with, that hard-sided cooler where our turkey would be. And so I think two or three of those trips that we went on, the poor ladies that, that worked for the airline just literally had to come apart when they opened up that cooler <laughs> and see a dead turkey in there. It was just one of the, I'll never forget one of the ladies. I thought we were going to have to go back there and help her up. Uh, I mean, oh no, it, it well, was that, hilarious. We that's how we I do for elk a lot of times to mm-hmm. bring a lot of elk meat home. Also bear, uh, like going into Canada and stuff. Though the, you'll get a lot of the coolers like that, and you know we try to get all the meat frozen solid if we can. If we can't, we just put it in those coolers and and bring home all our dirty clothes and soft gear into a soft duffel, and and that folds up real good and everything packs in there. But yes, you see those coolers coming in. They're a little bit on meat that might be that might have blood in it that or mm-hmm. meat that might, you know, anything that might leak is a problem. You know, of course, a turkey, you don't have that problem, and you, you really don't want to wrap a lot of this stuff in plastic bags. If it's not frozen, sometimes right. that is not conducive to your meat keeping well unless it's chilled or, or you know, have dry ice, and now there's a problem with dry ice, mm-hmm. but... You know, there. That's one thing you need to think about is if this meat is frozen. I've I've brought alligator meat home, but I'd have it hard flash frozen before I bring it. And sometimes you have to maybe stay an extra day just just to get that meat mm-hmm. processed and travel ready. So anyway, good points there. There's a lot more people want to go someplace new and hunt. But they need to have a plan. They need to think these things over before they go. You don't just don't hop on a plane and, and go have a successful hunt unless they've got the little things taken care of and, and they figured out the way. And hopefully they can learn those ways by from people with experience doing it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned when we were talking about 
when you when you talked about having the scales, the bathroom scales in your room and being ready and having the bags weighed and so on and so forth, and it is extremely stressful going to check a bag that is just what you said. You know, it's 51 pounds or 51 and a half pounds, and you've got to find a pound and a half of something to pull out of there to make the weight limit for the bag without going over the weight limit and having to pay a penalty. And then you've got the travelers back behind you who are getting upset. They're getting frustrated. They're ready to get to their destination just like you're ready to get to yours. And all they've got to do is just pick up a duplicate ticket. But yet, you know, what we do in checking bags and checking firearms takes a considerable amount of time compared to what most travelers are doing on that airline. And so any what you just said, anything that we can do to be prepared to plan ahead for things just makes our trip much more enjoyable, but it also helps out the other people that are going to be on the plane with us as well. And the airline employees, because we don't want to tick them off either. When you were telling that, it made me think, you know, there are some really nice airline employees. I have met mm-hmm. some that have just treated me so well. And, you know, a few that you, you know or is having a bad day. But I'll never forget coming out of Texas, and I had I was checking in, and I'd been funny, and I'd taken a Neil guy, and I wanted to bring those back straps home because the meat was so good. And... Mm-hmm. I checked in, and and the man told me, he said, you've got, I think it was like five pounds over in this one bag that had the meat in it. It it was, you know, a little cooler. I'd done just like we just discussed. Mm -hmm. And I said... I, I said, I know this one's over. I said, I'm bringing home some of the Neil guy meat that I took uh, on this hunt. And and it was a spring hunt, but you, you uh, a turkey hunt, but the season is, there's not a season like that on that down on the King Ranch. Mm-hmm. And the man was so nice. He was obviously a hunter. And he looked at me and he said, lady, if you've gone to this much trouble and you're taking that meat home, he said, good for you. He said, just go on. He didn't charge me any overage he he was it was like from one hunter to another and he understood and he said i i appreciate you taking care of this meat and wanting to take it home and you go on and enjoy it because i told him i said well i'll give you part of it if you want it because <laughs> i don't want to see it go to waste and he said right. no he said that's great he said i like to see people that appreciate the kill and, and is going to go home and enjoy the meat and he said you take it on home and I, you know, I wanted to hug his neck. I thought, well, you know, so many of them would would force you to waste part of it or something, and and he was applauding it. So there's a lot of good folks out there, and there that's their job, and they're trying to do their job, and and I work at not making their job hard. That's right. That's exactly right. And. You know, most of the time they have to deal with irate people, people who have missed oh, flights yeah. and can't get on another flight that day, period, have to wait on right. a flight, you know, the next day and they're away from their families or they're missing an important business meeting or so on and so forth. And, you know, anything we can do to help them out is going to make our trip more enjoyable. Just, I mean, it's you just that it. easy. So Everybody's yeah. nerves is frayed, and you don't gain anything by causing the people that you have to deal with <laughs> to, to make their day any worse is not going to help you along your way. You are so, so right about that, that's for sure. Well, all this talk about traveling and hunting has gotten me to where I want to hear a story. 
So. Oh my goodness, I'm full of stories. <laughs> good, good. That's why I'm going to pick your brain then. So can okay. you share the story of the last turkey that you killed on an out-of-state travel hunt? Well, I certainly can. That was this spring, and it was in Wyoming, up near Devil's Tower, outside of Hewlett, Wyoming. Mm -hmm. And, yes, I was up there on their, it's what, their governor's one-shot hunt, and I was just fortunate to make that hunt. I hunted the same ranch the last two years. My husband and I both go, and we're both successful and, and just love that part of the country and especially enjoy hunting Merriam's turkeys and that some of the full strain, you know, just mm -hmm. just those beautiful birds with that white edging on their tail and, and just a gorgeous place with some good turkey hunting. So. That's for sure. Well, what were one or two things about the hunt that made it a success for you that were kind of the keys to you being able to harvest a bird? Well, I'm not sure that this is has anything to do with the success, but a couple of the things that stick in my mind as being most memorable about that hunt was we were paired with a hunting partner and and you had no choice of who it was mm -hmm. it was I'm not sure how it was selected. I think it was a draw, but the the fellow that was drawn for me to hunt with had never been on a turkey hunt in his life. He knew nothing about it. He he was from Washington, D.C. I think he lived in Virginia. He worked in Washington. He was with from the timber industry, mm. and he was he worked in some kind of legislation for the timber industry, and he had been invited out on this hunt. Someone loaned him a shotgun, and you know we just met that morning and was assigned to a ranch. So. We're sitting there, and, you know, I told him I'll do the calling and all that, and I told him I said, be very still, and if you're not a turkey hunter, you don't know what still means. <laughs> you know, you think you're still, you're right. but you're not still. You know, you're you're fidgeting, and, and you, you can't look without moving your whole head and, you know, and all that, but he was so teachable. And I, you know, after a couple of kind of busted runs when – when I would point and his whole body would move. And hmm. I told him, I said, let's practice this. And I asked him, I said, do you know what that bead on the front of your shotgun is? And he said, I don't have a clue. Oh, <laughs> and I, I, said, I, don't, I said, okay, now let's practice before we get into the real situation. And he he learned to aim. You know, he lined his, his sights up and he learned to aim. And we went on. And I, we got into more turkeys, and I got him in position, and we were just hit, sitting hip to hip, and I, I put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, do not move, do not breathe, get your head down on that gun, sit real tight. I said, these turkeys are coming in, and they're coming real, real close. And I said, you put your bead where the wattles meet the feathers, right there, and I'll tell you when and it, i think it was four turkeys come in i know it was three it was three and and you know just the way merriam's do they it was in tall sage but i could hear them just a rattling along and mm -hmm. and here they came and when i told them i said don't look for them just hold your gun in the opening here and when they come through the opening you know and I said, now and oh my goodness it was it was picture perfect this guy was so excited like i say this was his first turkey and first turkey hunt and so 
Things like that is what makes it memorable for me. And yes, I with the three turkeys and, and they took off and I was able to get to my gun and, and take one also. So we doubled fantastic. on that hunt. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it was just fantastic. And there was a lot of situations like that. I think there was 85 hunters maybe. And of them, there was a group of youngsters that had, some of them had killed turkeys. Some of them had never been on a turkey hunt, but they had an opportunity and uh, the majority of them got birds so seeing these kinds of situations where turkey hunting is promoted in such a good positive way the local taxidermist in this little tiny town dressed every bird and he prepared everybody's fans saved their beards and all of the the meat there went into the local food bank it was a, a huge donation but people were Proudly, if you look in some of the recent Turkey Country magazines, you're going to see me with a turkey over my shoulder and and a speed limit sign behind my back. That's because that is the main street in Hewlett, Wyoming. And that day, it, it was all about the turkey. Everybody walked down the street to come under the big tent and have their turkeys weighed and, and admired and photographed. And, you know, there was a sense of pride there over not just the success but over what the the people coming together and and congregating to turkey hunt you know the the Mm -hmm. young the old the ones with disabilities and we were all the same we were all lovers of the outdoors and turkey hunting so that was really what i brought away from that hunt my husband he was not on the organized hunt but he hunted on the ranch out where we were sleeping and it was with insight of devil's tower and if you've ever seen that you know what it just has an aura around it, it that is yeah. oh it's so amazing and some of the pictures we made of him and his turkey with devil's tower in the background you know those are memories that we that live on long long after you know the 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 turkey's been eaten and the, the fans have gotten dust. You don't forget those memories that are, are made in a place like that. So that was my last travel hunt, and that was this spring, and hopefully I can go back again in the in next spring. It's like people ask, don't, do you get tired of this? No, I don't get tired. <laughs> I might get tired of getting up so early. I might get tired of packing this bag and going through that system and, and lugging my gear to the airport, but... Once I'm out there and once, you know, that first bird wakes up in the morning, when I hear that first gobble, I'm not tired anymore. I'm excited. Yep, you're exactly right. Well, that's a great story, and I I can hear the excitement in your voice still like it just happened. Well, yeah, that's that's been, you know, a few months ago, but gosh, there's enough excitement that, that will hold you till the next season. And then it's like, oh, I need to go recharge this excitement battery. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, Brenda, thank you so much. I've taken up a good bit of your time. I know you've had uh, an eventful morning, so I know you've got a bunch of stuff you need to tend to, and I, I just really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us and, and talking a little bit about Something that, you know, I think that we just don't even, it doesn't even cross our mind until we get ready to go on that first or second or third or tenth trip. And so it's good to get some tips from someone who has done it a bunch of times and not just for turkeys, but traveling abroad to kill all sorts of critters. And so 
I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on and share that information with us. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you in February. I know it's a few months away, but seeing you at the NWTF banquet in February and hopefully getting you on the show again sometime in the not-too-distant future to cover another great topic with you. Well, it will be my pleasure. You call any time because I am tickled to talk turkey any time <laughs> or hunting in general. So, Absolutely. Uh, so let's let's just do this, Andy. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Brenda. Have a wonderful day. Thanks. Bye. All right. Goodbye. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Brenda is such a kind and generous woman who is very passionate about sharing her love of the outdoors, the animals that occupy the outdoors, and hunting. And we hunters are extremely lucky to have someone like Brenda as an outspoken advocate for hunting and as a spokesperson with NWTF promoting and preserving the sport of turkey hunting by sharing and teaching the sport to others. Brenda, thank you again so much for sharing your time and knowledge with us. Okay, so that's all that I've got for you guys today, but you know I'm going to ask you for a favor before I turn you loose this week. And my favor is this. Please go to Facebook and like Brenda's Facebook page. So just go to the search bar in Facebook and type in Brenda Valentine and like her page. But take it one step further. Invite four or five of your Facebook friends to like her page as well. She is very active on Facebook, way more active than I am. But there's not very many people who aren't more active than I am on Facebook But she is always doing something fun and cool. So please go like and share her page for me. Do it. Go. Go. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.